1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are continuing in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This is the eighth installment on Sunday mornings. We've talked about the person of the Spirit in general, the work of the Spirit in general. We've talked about what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what it means to be led by the Spirit. At our Thursday night gatherings, we've talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit as a quality of character. We've talked about what it means to be in the Spirit as a quality of being. We've talked a little bit about healing at our Thursday night gatherings. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the spiritual gifts, the gift of prophecy. What we ought to be getting from our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit is that Christianity is supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. We're talking about supernatural God empowering upon normal people for the purposes and glory of Jesus. And yes, we are normal, but our Christian experience shouldn't be normal. It should be super normal, supernatural. And the gift of prophecy is uh, one of those gifts that's wonderful. We're not going to have time on Sunday mornings to talk about all the gifts. We'll just kind of pick a few. This morning, the gift of prophecy. Let's pray before we get into it. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. We thank you for your great and wonderful mercy. We thank you that in this season you seem very near to us. We accept those times by faith where you don't seem near, but we continue on believing your word, trusting in what you say, that you're always with us. But we love these times where you seem even more tangibly present and working and reviving us. Lord, I, I just I love this church. I love these people at all three campuses. I don't want anyone to miss what you're doing. So tune us in. Holy Spirit, tune us in. Grab our attention. Increase our faith. Give us grace to surrender our wills. And teach us to follow hard after you in this season in life and what it is you want to do. So as we talk about the gift of prophecy today, we ask that you would birth more prophecy in our church. Because as your scriptures will reveal today, it's wonderful, it's needed, and it's good. Holy Spirit, birth more prophecy happening in our church. We want to hear more of the voice of God in our midst. Please now anoint me to teach and preach these things faithfully and give us the ability supernaturally to pay attention and transform us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to dive right in. No introduction. Um, there's not time for it. There's much to cover. We're talking about the spiritual gifts. Let's just give a basic definition to the gifts. Now listen, as I said, there's not enough time to cover all the gifts. We've made some wonderful book recommendations to you lately. We've got brand new books dealing with the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, out at the resource table. We'll have more next week. If you're interested in these things, as you should be, you need to get those. So we're just going to kind of dive in and drill down. Here's a definition of the spiritual gifts. Any ability that is given by and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used in any ministry of the church. Any ability given by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be used in any ministry of the church, inside the four walls and outside the four walls. Okay, the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enablings 
that allow us to engage in the mission of Christ. Those that are mentioned in Scripture, and we'll look at a few today, are not an exhaustive list. Okay, There's more than what's mentioned in Scripture. For example, the gift of intercession is not mentioned in Scripture as a gift, but we know that that's an area of gifting. We know that there's gifted worship leaders, but that's not mentioned as one. And then celibacy is mentioned as a gift. So it's not always what we expect. There are lots of spiritual gifts. And their purpose is this, to build up, strengthen, enable, and comfort the church. Build up, strengthen, enable, and comfort the church in being faithful to Christ and his mission until he returns. Now, a key text for the gifts is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. And here, Paul mentions several gifts, and we'll just kind of read through this cursory list, starting in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. I'm teaching from the NLT today. For clarity, I usually use the New American Standard lately, but this is the NLT. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. It says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, word of wisdom, that's called. To another, the same Spirit gives a a message of special knowledge, a word of knowledge, that's called. Both of those are prophetic giftings. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, The one spirit gives a gift of healing. Verse 10, he gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. That's the gift of discerning of spirits. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. That's tongues. We'll talk about it next week. While another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Verse 11, It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, in the church in Corinth, they were excited about the gifts, and they were practicing the gifts and using the gifts. But there was some abuse of the gifts. Now, here's the problem. Many of us have seen abuse of the gifts. Okay, and so we, we get shy of those things and we shy away from those things. You cannot let bad examples form your theology. You cannot do that. Okay, that's being disingenuous. It's being unfaithful to Scripture. We've all seen those things. We've all had those things and they're happening in Corinth. But those don't form our theology. The Bible forms our theology. Now, in Corinth, they were blowing it in some ways, okay? There was some wrong motives going on with the gifts. There was some out-of-order stuff happening. There was some pride at the church in Corinth, some selfish ambition, stuff that we see in every church. But what Paul was doing here is writing to correct them in those things. And he corrects them in three ways. First of all, he says that God's gifts are designed to make sure that we all need each other. Okay? God gives different gifts. He doesn't give everybody, or he doesn't give one person all the gifts. He gives each of us different gifts so that we all need each other. So that the only way we can function is in unison. So that we have to, as the church, depend upon one another. We all need each other. Okay, so let's read that um, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul uses this analogy. He says, the human body has many parts, 
but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, okay, us. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but not just, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? In other words, he's saying you can't look and say, well, I don't have that gift, so I'm not important. Okay, we are all needed in the economy of God. Verse 18. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. That's talking about you. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. So the person with a certain gifting can never say to the person with another gifting, I don't need you. We need each other. That's the design of God. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. In other words, it's not the guy with the biggest mouth up front who's most visible. Okay, that's one part. The important part is the whole body. You and all of your gifts. Verse 25, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So he's correcting the church in Corinth, letting them know you need each other. Nobody should have any pride in this. The Spirit gives gifts not according to merit, according to grace. They're undeserved. According to his sovereign will, he gives gifts to all of us, and we need each other to be well and functioning. The second way that he corrects them is by saying God's gifts don't mean much unless they're done in the context of and with the goal of love. Okay, the gifts are not the goal in and of themselves. The goal is love. Look at chapter 13. Paul says, if I could speak, this is verse 1, all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The important thing in the church is not the gifts and who has what. The important thing is that we are obeying the command of Christ to love one another. And the gifts are to be practiced in the context, in the bedrock of love. And love and unity and mutual care should be the outflow and the fruit of gifts. The third way that he corrects them is he wants them to know that the gifts are to be desired. Chapter 14, verse 1, let love be your highest goal. 
But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, the spiritual gifts. Love is the highest goal, but all of you should want spiritual gifts. Now, this is interesting. They were kind of overdoing the gifts. They were sort of, we would say in our common vernacular, abusing the gifts. It was a bit out of order. If I was Paul, I would have said, whoa, 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 let's put a chill on the gifts here, okay? Let's pull back and get back to basics and just kind of tone it down for a little bit. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say that the solution to the problem is to do the gifts less. He says it's to do them better. It's to do them with a greater sense of love and unity, but you should desire the gifts. Here's a, a very vibrant, gifted church, and he's saying you should want them even more than you're wanting them right now. So that verse then kind of frames why we're talking about the gift of prophecy, because it continues. Again, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy, he says. You should especially desire the gift of prophecy, he says to the church. Now, why does Paul want the church to especially desire that gift above all others? Well, chapter 14, verse 12, he says this, since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, the gifts, seek those gifts that will strengthen the whole church. So here's what Paul's getting at. He wants the church to be strong and strengthened from the inside. So he wants them to pursue after those gifts that are most effective at that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. Or as the New American Standard says, for the common good. Paul here is concerned about the strength of the church, everybody helping each other, and the common good of the church. And what he gets at is this fact. Prophecy has the tremendous potential to strengthen the church, to help the church, and for the common good of it. Therefore, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it's referred to as one of the greater gifts. And he says to us, earnestly desire. You should really want the greater gifts. Speaking of prophecy, so that in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says this, I wish you could all speak in tongues. We'll deal with that next week. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying, so that the whole church will be strengthened. Here's what Paul is saying. Nothing is more powerful and potent and strengthening, helping the church than the gift of prophecy. Why? Because nothing goes so far as to give us a sense that God is among us. That's what strengthens us. In his presence is a fullness of joy. When we're aware of his presence, we have tremendous joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. He wants the church to be strengthened and nothing does that better than when there's a real sense of God among us and nothing makes that more clear than the gift of prophecy. Therefore, Paul wished that everybody could prophesy. Now, technically, everybody could prophesy, but not necessarily everybody will prophesy. I believe in the church, many more people should be prophesying than are. Technically, everybody could, but not everybody necessarily will because as we read in verse 11 of chapter 12, the Spirit gives gifts 
as he desires, okay? And the Spirit is sovereign in what gifts he gives and in what gifts he withholds. And there's different times in life where we get new gifts. So we should never seek or stop seeking after these things. It's not as they're like, well, I only have the gift of teaching, so forget about the gift of prophecy. I only have the gift of administration or the gift of mercy, so forget about the gift of prophecy. No, we're always looking for more. That's what the scripture says to do. And there's different times and seasons where God will give you new gifts. But God is also sovereign in withholding gifts, okay? But we should always be asking and seeking. And the New Testament is clear here. More than any other gift, we should be asking and seeking for the gift of prophecy. That's crystal clear. Now, what is the gift of prophecy? Gift of prophecy is the human reporting of divine revelation speaking forth in merely human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind, okay? Speaking forth in merely human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. We'll nuance it in a minute. But it may have to do with the past. It may have to do with the present. It may have to do with the future. God may be addressing something that happened or something that is happening or something that's going to happen. God may be addressing something that you've done or are doing or are going to do. It involves receiving revelation from God supernaturally and then faithfully reporting it to others. The purpose is to encourage, build up, comfort, and strengthen God's people in the sense of his loving care, sovereignty, and proximity. Okay, the purpose of prophecy at the end of it is that we would always be encouraged that, wow, God is really near, he really cares, and he's really in control. That would bring comfort and strength and encouragement to the individuals and to the church as a whole. It says that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 14.3. It says, the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Now, one of the ladies in our church that I would consider a prophetess, and we have several, said this about that. She said, quote, The gift of prophecy is always an opportunity to share with someone the love of God. Whenever I receive something that I discern the Lord wants me to share, I'm learning that if it's not shared to reveal the love of the Father for that individual, then problems occur. Even when a word is a correction or a warning, it is given because God loves them and wants his fullness to be worked in them or through them. Often he wants to give them hope and have their faith increase to believe in him. It's a relational thing between the father and the individual, and it should always draw them closer. Okay, because at the end of the day, the gifts, like the leading of the Spirit, are a love thing. God wants to speak to you and speak to us because he loves us. It's a love thing, and it's for the glory of Christ. It should always reveal the Father's love and bring glory to Jesus when done properly. Now, there are several ways in which that may happen. I'll give a few examples. That may happen through a timely word, okay? Back in uh, late November, early December, I can't remember, uh, Daisy wasn't doing well, and we took her to the hospital, and she received her fourth diagnosis with cancer, and we were in this horrible little room talking to the doctor when he told us what was going on, that the cancer is back. And he gave us a diagnosis and he gave us a prognosis that this was pretty much the end of the road and our best bet was to take Daisy home, make her as comfortable as we could for a little while before she died. That's what he told us in that room that day. 
And man, we just came unglued as a mom and dad would. We just came unglued. We just started weeping uncontrollably and just crying out to God. And, and the, the thing that came forth from us by the Spirit was, God, you just have to be with us. We have to know you're with us. And I shared with you guys my story. I was coming out of a long season of not sensing God's presence. Very, very difficult. And I just said, God, you have to be with us. You have to show us that you're with us. We have to know that you're with us. And we're just screaming and crying in this horrible little hospital room. And right then, Kate's phone got a text. I didn't have a phone at the time. My phone now doesn't get text messages. I don't carry my phone around. I hate them. But Kate's phone got a text message. And normally, I would just ignore it. And uh, I felt compelled to grab it. And I, I reached over and I grabbed it and I wiped away my tears and I looked and it was a text message from one of our elders' wives. And it said, I just felt right at this moment that I needed to send you this verse. And it was Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. That was a gift of prophecy. It was the form of a verse, as it often is. It was a timely word that brought strength and encouragement and comfort. And I'm so thankful that that young lady was in a place in her life where she was listening to the Spirit and she had the boldness to respond and send that prophetic text. It may happen through an encouraging word. A friend, spiritual mother here at Reality, intercessor and also prophetess. I asked her for some examples of encouraging words that she's given me because I have memory problems and she wrote this. One Saturday morning, I saw you, okay, this is a vision, holding a budding almond branch in your hands and the Lord was saying he was making you and your ministry very, very fruitful. I think this is the only Saturday morning that I ever called you. You picked up the phone and were amazed partly because you and Kate were just sitting down to eat almonds right then. So something very profound, right? She had, she had a vision. It was very, very biblical. Throughout the Bible, almonds and budding almond branches are used for powerful symbol, symbolism. And the almond branches in the Middle East, or the almond trees, would bud before any other trees. Therefore, they were used to speak to the nation of Israel of something that was coming very quickly, either the blessing of God or the punishment of God. In this case, it was a blessing of God. Thank you, Jesus. But just these really neat little things, a profound vision. She just had the boldness to pick up the phone and call. And just how sweet is it of God that at that moment, Kate and I were sitting down to eat almonds. You see, he knows you, he knows how to speak to you, and just these little things that make huge, huge differences in our lives. And what that showed was the kindness of God and the nearness of God. He knew I was eating almonds. He knew I needed a word of encouragement. He gave a vision to this lady. She sent it. There was confirmation because we're eating those things. It was just, God's so nice and so near. That's what this gift teaches us. So it may be a timely word. It may be an encouraging word. It may happened by revealing the future. Almost 20 years ago, Kate and I had a little home Bible study, and mostly for surfer kids who were like junior high and high school age. And uh, this one girl came who was just out of high school. I didn't know her very well, and she just came a few times, and she sat through the Bible study. And I got to tell you, dude, my, my teaching and preaching at that time was horrific. I mean, I was confusing myself every single week. <laughs> And I can remember where I was standing in my house at that time, and she just looked at me afterwards, kind of like, 
just kind of, I don't know. She just had that look that happens sometimes like when, you know, and she just said, God is going to make you a pastor to pastors. That's all she said. And she walked away. Listen, I didn't even go to church at the time. There was nobody that I considered my pastor. I had no inclination of ever wanting to be a pastor. I wasn't even sure what that meant. That didn't make sense to me. That didn't sound good to me. But, and then I, I, I forgot about it. And years later, when we started to plant churches and mentor other leaders and this stuff, God made me a pastor to pastors. And it was just this encouraging word that later on the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance. It would show me, wow, God, you were in control of my life 20 years ago. I had no idea what that was about. But you have numbered my days from beginning to end. You've laid them all out and you're bringing them to pass. That's what the gift of prophecy shows us. Tremendous encouragement. Now, I didn't then say, okay, I'm going to be a pastor and then I'm going to pastor other pastors. I didn't seek after that. You just put your eyes on Jesus when you get one of those and he'll just work it out and bring it to remembrance at the right time. So it may happen as a timely word, an encouraging word. It may reveal the future or it may happen through warning or rebuke that is helpful to us. Recently, before the launch of one of our campuses, one of the ladies in our congregation came up to me and said, you know what? It really seems like, and I feel like the Lord has shown me that your heart is not in this thing. You're not giving it your all. Your heart isn't in it. You're not committed to the mission of Christ right now. And that's not cool. And man, it was, it was a rebuke and it was a really good one. And I had to, I agreed with that. I identified it in my heart. I had to confess that, repent of it, and then I had to seek help. So I got the elders and the staff. I told them, here's what's going on in my life, man. I'm not in this thing. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, what's the word? I don't know. I'm not that into it. Uh, I'm not giving it my all. I'm not doing what Christ has asked me to do right now. Repent of that. Please pray for me. And they prayed for me, and a fresh anointing came upon me, and it was wonderful. But it happened through that rebuke. God revealing to someone else, man, this guy's heart is messed up right now. He needs help. I love him so much. I want to use him in what I'm doing. He needs help. And so it came that way. Another time, recently, when I came back from Israel and we were going through Daisy's cancer, uh, my plan was to walk away from the ministry forever. I, I told that to you guys. And the Lord revealed that to several people in our congregation who move in the prophetic realm. And they got in their car and they came and found me where I was. And they walked up to me and said, you know, in essence, you're planning on walking away and that's not God's will for you. We're here to pray for you. And I was rescued that day. You see, that was a, a prophetic leading, a prophetic revelation that they had, boldness to step out, to come and do that. And then what it revealed to me is God's love and care, his sovereignty and his kindness. And then as they prayed for me, new strength came on me because prophecy strengthens, comforts, and encourages the church. Now, it may also come as a clue to reveal and confront the opposing work of the enemy. Back before we had multiple campuses when we were just at the Carpinteria location, there was a season of a lot of witchcraft coming against um, the body. And we had a couple witches that were attending the church Took us a while to figure that out, but they would sit in the front row and they're trying to work 
witchcraft while we were there, and that was an amazing battle to see that and engage in that. My office at church had a big pentagram and some sort of red liquid painted on the outside of the window, and I had a physical affliction I can't even tell you about, but it was horrific, and I was afflicted, and I went to the doctor, and nothing could make this thing go away. And then one of the women in our church had a, a prophetic leading that this was witchcraft, and she had a vision. She saw that if the leaders of the church would lift their hands in authority and pray against it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus, that it would be broken. Okay, so she had that vision, that prophetic leading. She came and she told me, and I said, yeah, man, that sounds good. So I got the pastors together one morning, early in the morning, and we lifted our hands and we prayed and we engaged in spiritual warfare and we rebuked the witchcraft in the name of Jesus. And this physical affliction that I had on my body uh, that I couldn't get rid of and doctors couldn't figure out, after we prayed that, I went home and I was so exhausted from that warfare, I fell asleep, woke up half an hour later and it was 100% gone, 100% cured. You see, yeah, praise God if you want to. I mean, see, that's just the kindness of God through the gift of prophecy revealing what was going on so that we could be healed, comforted, strengthened, renewed, so that we could learn and have insight. That's how important this gift is. If there hadn't been that prophetic inclination, I don't know how long I would have gone without affliction, not to mention all the other things that were happening in our body because of the presence of those witches. Whew, it's crazy stuff, huh? <clears throat> now, what we see from those examples, and they're just examples from my life, is that the gift of prophecy plays out so many ways. For me, it has been absolutely indispensable. I cannot imagine my life without the gift of prophecy. And all the kind of stuff that we're talking about is Bible stuff, right? Revelation and visions and reporting it and all this stuff is just Bible stuff. And because we are people who are shaped by Scripture, we're into this kind of stuff, to not be into it is to ignore Scripture. To not be into it is like, it's there, and we are shaped by Scripture. So we can't imagine our life without this stuff. Now let's talk about some of the ways to practice this. First of all, we must realize that the gift of prophecy is different, the New Testament gift of prophecy is different from the Old Testament office of prophet. Okay? Old Testament prophets spoke the very words of God. The very words of God. In that, they had absolute authority in what they said. In the Old Testament, to disobey, to disobey a prophet of God was to disobey God. As such, they had tremendous responsibility. If a prophet in the Old Testament was shown to be wrong, they were generally put to death. Okay, the Bible wasn't <clears throat> around yet. This was like they had absolute authority from God. Similar to New Testament apostles, excuse me, right? It's more similar to New Testament apostles who went on to pen Scripture. Old Testament prophets penned much of Scripture. Absolute authority. Paul makes it clear in the New Testament when he's writing churches, hey, you disobey me in this, you're disobeying God. That same sort of authority. Now, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not the same. We have Scripture now. We have the completed canon of Scripture. And the absolute authority... The infallibility lies in Scripture, not in a person, not in a prophet, not in an apostle. The absolute final word is in Scripture. So to disobey Scripture is to disobey God, okay? 
So that changes a little bit the New Testament gift of prophecy from the Old Testament office of prophet. The New Testament gift is not reporting the very words of God, which must be obeyed in their nuance and in their minutia. Rather, the New Testament gift of prophecy is reporting in merely human words what God has brought to mind. And New Testament prophecies are never on par with Scripture. They don't supplant Scripture. They're not equal in authority to Scripture. They don't amend Scripture. Okay, they are, They're not to be taken as Scripture. They're human words reporting what God has revealed. But the final authority is in the Bible. That should comfort us. Now, much of what we learned last week with regards to being led by the Spirit applies to the gift of prophecy because it works in much the same way. We're talking about hearing from God in a prophetic manner. And that doesn't only happen in the gift of prophecy. That happens in being led. That happens in other gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. That happens in teaching, all sorts of different ways where we hear from God. But much of those same principles apply that we looked at from Acts chapter 10 of getting yourself in a place where you can hear from God. Could be a voice, could be a dream, could be a vision, it could be a thought, it could be an impression, could be some sort of sign, could be a passage in scripture, it could just be a strong sense. But this kind of stuff is all over the Bible. And when it happens in the gift of prophecy, there are two things present. A revelation from God and a reporting to others. Okay, in the gift of prophecy, a revelation from God and a reporting to others. Now here's where it gets sticky. Because of the nature of it, receiving and then having to report in merely human words, that reporting requires interpretation or translation by the one who has received it, right? So I see this vision, and it's a vision sometimes. It's not necessarily words. So how do I now communicate that faithfully, right? Or I just have this impression, or I heard this word, or I have this scripture. So how do I translate that to the person that I'm supposed to tell it to faithfully? Because of that, in the New Testament gift of prophecy and the exercise of it, there will sometimes be errors. There will sometimes be simultaneously content or translation or interpretation that is correct and parts of it that are wrong. And that's okay in New Testament prophecy. We don't kill the messenger. It's not the same as Old Testament prophet. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a different thing because we have Scripture now. Now let's see an example of this in Scripture. Turn to Acts chapter 21. Very quickly. Hurry up. Man that. Acts 21. We'll just cut right to the chase, verse 4. Okay, Paul and the boys here, they're on another missionary trip, they're, they're missionary trip, they're sailing around. And then it says in Acts 21, 4, we went ashore, we found the local believers and stayed with them for a week. Look at this. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Okay, now look in verse 10. Verse 10, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, but he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. 
I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord may be saying something different than how we're saying it. Okay, what is going on here? Paul received this prophecy. Multiple people, okay, had prophetic insight that when he went to Jerusalem, there would be persecution. He decided to go anyway. Why was that? 1 Corinthians 14, 29 tells us that we are to judge and evaluate prophecies that are given to us. We'll look at the details of that in a moment. Paul judged the content of that prophecy to be true. The Holy Spirit had already been telling him that. Talks about it with the Ephesus elders in Acts chapter 20. He judged the content of it to be true and correct, but he judged the interpretation of it or the application of it to be incorrect. He thought in his mind, the Spirit is definitely revealing that there's trouble for me in Jerusalem, but these guys think that means I shouldn't go. That's not what it means. So, They had the gift of prophecy. They reported some of what they were saying was right. Some of what they were saying is true. They probably just had a vision or a word that there was going to be this horrible pain waiting for him in Jerusalem. They may have then added to it, well, that means don't go. That must be why the Lord showed me that. That wasn't it. The Lord was showing that to Paul, that Paul would know for sure that even though hard times were coming, God was with him and he knew the beginning from the end and he was sovereign and in control. He wasn't going to be surprised by this. In a perfect case scenario, it would have been reported that way. Paul, God just wants you to know that he's in control. He sees what's coming. There might be hard times, but he's with you. That should have been the report. So sometimes we need to restrain ourselves when it comes to interpretation and we need to be careful with translation because the New Testament gift of prophecy is not the very words of God, but rather reporting in merely human words something God brings to mind. Now, some of you will be uncomfortable with that and you'll say, why, if it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, if it's from God, why could there be some error in it? Now, an analogy and a statement. The error is not on God's part. The error is on people's part. And we see that in gifts all the time. Somebody could have the gift of teaching and teach wrong doctrine. Have the same Bible, right? And teach incorrectly or say it in a wrong way, whatever it is. Okay, there's infallibility in God. There's tremendous fallibility in people. And God uses fallible, messed up, messy people. It's just the way it is. For this reason, though, when we're exercising the New Testament gift of prophecy, hear me on this, we should never preface it by saying, thus saith the Lord. That is an Old Testament office of prophet way of introducing the very words of God. We should avoid those words because there's a possibility of error. So what we ought to be saying realizing that we don't have absolute or infallible authority, what we ought to say is things like this. I think the Lord is showing me. I think the Lord may be indicating that. It seems to me the Lord is putting on my heart a concern for, right? It's, it's a more humble form of communication that leads, leaves openness for our own fallibility and yet says the Lord is speaking to me. I believe that the Lord is speaking to me. But it's not a thus saith the Lord thing. Here's why. Hear me. 
We are going to make mistakes with this. Everybody who practices the gift of prophecy is at one time or another going to make a mistake. Therefore, we help each other. We contribute to the common good when we approach it with humility and say, I I think maybe the Lord is saying. Many people came to my wife and I and said, the Lord is telling us that your daughter Daisy is not going to die from this cancer. She died. It's hard to process that. We're dealing with people's lives. The stakes are very, 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 very high. Therefore, we should be very careful, prayerful, humble in the practice of this. Now, oftentimes, the delivery makes all the difference. I'm a, I've never shared about this from the, I don't think, maybe I did, I can't remember. Anyway, about 12 years ago, uh, just after my son was born, uh, a lady who's not here, I, I haven't seen her in years, who I knew to move powerfully in the area of prophecy, came to Kate and I and said, uh, God has shown me something horrible is going to happen to your child. Gee, thanks. I almost, I almost couldn't go on. That affected me so deeply that when I went to go see Nemo, my wife and I went with Isaiah, and you know how the son gets lost and the dad is freaking out? I literally had a nervous breakdown in the theater. I started weeping uncontrollably and had to run out of the theater. I was so terrified. Now, it turns out, and I didn't realize this for years later, that the lady was right in the revelation. It wasn't about Isaiah. She didn't say which child. It was about Daisy. Something horrible happened to my child. She died of cancer. She was right in the revelation she received. She was very wrong in the way that she reported it. We should be careful not to create fear in one another because that's not the intention of our Father who loves us. How you report the revelation is everything. She could have said something like this. I I think God wants to encourage you that he knows everything that's going to happen in your family, that he's on control and on the throne. And when hard times come, he will be with you to strengthen you. And everything you encounter with your children Remember that he's very near to you and that when you turn to him, he's able to help you in everything. He said, I would have gotten the message. I would have gotten the message, man, I'm going to need the Lord drastically sometime in the life of my kids. But it wouldn't have created fear in me. It would have created hope. It would have actually brought comfort. It actually would have inspired faith. Now, contrast that to a time that God gave someone the same revelation some years later. Okay, the same revelation. Something bad was coming down with one of my kids. Okay, this is a lady here in in the body, and she handled it correctly. Here's her testimony about it. She says, I remember writing out a prophecy for Kate, my wife, that she could be sure of God wanting her to stay home and pour into her kids rather than to be in full-time women's ministry, which is what she was weighing at the time. The prophecy was that something would happen in Isaiah's life, my son, when he was nine years old. And everything she had poured into him would help him at that point in his life. My son Isaiah was nine years old when his little sister was diagnosed with cancer. 
This prophecy was given to my wife years before it happened. It, it helped direct her in her decision-making, and it brought tremendous comfort that, wow, I'm doing the right thing by just investing in my son. Because hard times are going to come like they do for every family. And the place where I'm supposed to invest right now is in my son. I'll tell you what. My son, having just lost his little sister six months ago, is doing wonderfully. He's doing wonderfully. And a huge part of that was his prophecy that was given so that my wife could pour into him in a special way. Now, I just can't, I just can't tell you how important and wonderful this stuff is. There's a tremendous responsibility with this gift. Therefore, there is tremendous accountability. Therefore, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, that we are to judge and evaluate the prophecies that are given to us. He says this, let two or three people prophesy. This is when it's happening in a corporate gathering, but we're talking mostly about interpersonal relationships. And let the others evaluate, evaluate what is said. The, New Test, uh, the NASB says pass judgment. So someone prophesies, and then what we're supposed to do is evaluate what has been said? We're to pass judgment on. Wayne Gruden, my favorite theologian, comments and says this. Paul had in his mind the kind of evaluation whereby each person would weigh what is said in his or her own mind, accepting some of the prophecy as good and helpful and rejecting some of it as erroneous or misleading. Now, there is a great responsibility in that in and of itself. You know what that does? it keeps us prayerful and dependent on God. It, it, it saves us from just running after every supposed prophetic word and it keeps us prayerful and dependent and always going back to Jesus. You see, that's, that's why God does it that way. Now, when we do this, when we're evaluating the prophecies, we're not evaluating the prophet. Okay, we're, we're, we're kind of digging into the message that was given, not so much the messenger. Again, we're not judging the messenger to be true or false in the Old Testament sense because the authority is not with them. The authority is with Scripture. The idea is just making distinctions, carefully evaluating the content and the reporting of it. And those same five points of accountability that we talked about last week when we claim to be led by the Spirit apply to the use of prophecy. We as a church are accountable to one another in the area of prophecy for our motives. Who is this about? Our direction. Is it the way of the cross? Our fruit. What is the evidence? Our faithfulness to Scripture and our relationships with one another. That's why it's so important that we develop relational currency with each other because these sort of prophecies are best received in the context of loving friendship. That's why it's important that we're in calm groups that we're a part of the church, that we're not Lone Ranger Christians, that we're interacting, that we're inviting, that we're doing life with people. We need to develop relational currency, trust and reputation. There's certain people in my life that when they come and say, I think the Lord is saying, I have a high degree of confidence in that. There's other people, and I, in my position, I hear it every single Sunday all the time, who come and say, the Lord told me this for you. You know what? There's some people that have just gotten it wrong years on end. And I don't, I'm not going to stone them. I'm, I'm not, I don't hate them. I, I love them. But there's some relational currency that is developed there. And we're accountable for these things. So that if someone is consistently getting it wrong, we're in relationship and we say, hey, dude, you're off base, bro. You're taking your own thoughts and your own inclinations and your own desires and you're claiming them to be revelation from God and that's wrong. 
You need to be able to say that. That's what accountability looks like. So then, what should we do when we believe we have received a revelation from God? Something comes to us. It takes the form of words, thoughts, mental pictures, an impression, something. Here's what we do. Number one, pray about it. Pray about it for clarity and confirmation. Ask this question, God, is this you or is this me? Pray about it long and hard. Secondly, rejoice over it. If it's God, treasure the fact that God is speaking to you. That's a wonderful thing. Next, go slow. As we talked about last week, God is never in a hurry. He's on the throne. Okay, just slow down and continue to listen. Know the tendency of your flesh. We talked about this last week. Learn to listen to your flesh. It will clue you into what the Spirit is doing. So know if the tendency of your flesh is to rush forward and do something real quick or just to hold back and not do anything. Know the tendency of your flesh and begin to balance that in prayer. Next, share with others with similar gifting or spiritual authority to see if there's a sense of confirmation. That's really important. Hey, I think I'm hearing this from the Lord. I want to get your insight on this. Does this resonate with you? Be willing to submit to your mentors your community, and leaders of the church. Practice this. So when you think you're hearing from the Lord, this is a great way for young people with this gifting to develop, anyone with this gifting to develop. I think I heard this from the Lord. Write it down. And then record what happens later on, whether it was right or whether it was wrong. What parts were right, what parts were wrong. How you got the interpretation off or how it just flowed. Just start to record that stuff. And then share that with mentors and leaders and community. Write down when you're right and write down when you're wrong. That will begin to train you to best hear from the Spirit. It will begin to increase faith to act on what you're hearing. And it will develop relational currency when you're with people in life saying, gosh, here's all the ways the Lord showed me and here's where I was off and here's where it was happening. It's an important practice. Do it with community, trusted friends and mentors. And then pray about what to do with it. Here's why this is important. Sort of a little side road here. Prophecy is closely linked to and a key part of intercession. Okay, but, but so intercessors are constantly hearing prophetically, but they're not supposed to necessarily report it in the way that this gift of prophecy is. Sometimes you will receive prophetic revelation from God, but it's not to be reported at all. It's to be prayed about. And so there's some discernment that goes on. Not everything the Lord shows you is supposed to be spoken to others. A lot of it is for you. A lot of it is for prayer. A lot of it is just store up in treasure and wait to see what the Lord does. And gosh, I have such good stories I could tell you about that, but we're out of time. How do we approach the delivery or reporting of a prophecy? Okay, Try to be faithful with the content. Do not try to interpret it unless God clearly shows you what it means. And pray for the interpretation if you feel you're supposed to. Be clear in reporting what is clear and be humble with what is not. Be willing to say, I don't know. Choose your words carefully to reflect the gospel and the love of the Father. Deliver in a way that increases faith in God and reassures the believer of his loving care, proximity, and sovereignty. Make sure your heart is clean toward the person to whom you are speaking. It should be done in a context of love. Make sure that you're coming from a place where you genuinely care about their well-being. That's what God is wanting to communicate. And then deliver it and leave it with the person and the Lord. It's not your job to make it happen. It's not your job to follow up. It's not your job to see it through. It's your job to deliver it and leave it with them, and that takes faith. Okay? What do we do when we are given a prophecy from another person? 
Now we're on the receiving end of the report. Number one, do not despise prophetic utterances. Okay, so don't scoff at prophecy. Don't immediately dismiss it. Don't insult the Holy Spirit in that way. First, evaluate it. Okay? Prayerfully evaluate, receive the good, discard the bad. Ask the Lord to show you if it's from Him and what it means and what you're supposed to do about it. If you sense that it's from the Lord, and He's got your phone number so you can ask Him, hey, Lord, tell me. If you sense it's from the Lord, rejoice over it. Say, thank you, God. Treasure the fact that God is speaking to you. It's a wonderful gift. Look for confirmation of that word in lots of ways. God always confirms. Remember, God knows how to communicate to you, and he is. The key is listening. And then when you get a prophecy, no matter how profound it is, keep your heart and your attention and your focus on Jesus, not on the prophetic word. The words are always ultimately about Jesus. Okay, so don't make it all about this word and trying to make it happen. If it's God, he's going to make it happen. Prophetic word received rightly puts your heart and your mind right back on the person of Christ. Now, all of this needs to be practiced and grown in. We need to give each other opportunity and room and space to grow in this, to fail and to succeed. Gifts are not given in their perfect or mature state. They're not. Okay, you're given gifts, and usually at the beginning, you're not very good at functioning in them. Like when I was given the gift of teaching, I was still horrific. The, 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 the teaching gift had to develop and is still developing. Gifts are to be developed, matured in, practiced, grown in. Through practice, prayer, and receiving critique. So where do we start? We need to obey Scripture today and begin to ask for the gift of prophecy. That's what Bible told us to do. We need to do that. To not do that is to disobey Scripture. One of the ways that the gifts is given very clearly in Scripture is imparted through the laying on of hands. So we're going to have a prayer team up here today. They're going to come forward, say, I want the gift of prophecy or whatever other gift you want, and they'll lay hands on you and pray for it. You don't need the prayer team. You guys can do it with one another. Okay, we should be doing that as a body together, laying hands on each other. We should be asking, seeking the gift of prophecy because it's tremendously wonderful and beautiful and good and it strengthens and builds up the church. So we should do this. And we should do it in faith. Remember what Peter said that Joel said. God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. Thank you, Lord, for that prophecy right there. Give us faith, Lord. We want to obey your word today. We want to increase in and grow in these things. We say together that we want more of your voice functioning in our lives, in our gathering. Lord, I, I cannot imagine my life without the gift of prophecy. You did so tremendously for so many years. Thank you for the comfort and strength and glory that comes from us. Lord, help us to pursue it. I just pray that you would just give the gift of prophecy radically, abundantly today for your glory and the good of the church. Give us faith as we press into you now, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.